Good morning. <laughs> oh, this is a little loud. Here we go. Uh, good morning to everyone listening online. Um, I hope this touches you this morning. And I hope it's more than just another message and more than just, you know, my own little thoughts. But I hope God speaks to you the way he spoke to me in preparing this message. Speaking of, I don't know where my notes Oh. Oh, yeah, I hit him. Yeah, because you cheat. At the start of this month or of this theme, I mentioned three types of what I refer to as load-bearing pillars. The first one was called a foundational pillar, and this represented um, salvation as a pillar in our Christian walk. And the second was called the external pillar, which represented um, our identity in Christ. And then I said that these pillars together make up the first two pillars of our Christian walk, our identity in Christ, answering the question, who are we? And then our salvation in Christ, answering the question, why are we? And then there was a third one. Who can remember what the third one was? No, leave your notes out. No, but I, the, the type of load-bearing pillar. Come on, who was here? It's not that long ago. Niemand. There? Hey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was called the center pillar. And it's called so because it was, it's usually literally located in the center of a house. Now everyone is taking notes. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're literally located in the center of the house. And all pillars that are located in the center of a house or all walls are usually load-bearing because their main job is to transfer the weight from floor to floor or from floor to roof. And this is also just simply known as weight transferal. And weight transferal is just a fancy way of saying handing over your burden. Pillars are really exceptionally good at handing over their burdens. It's kind of what makes them work. It's, it's what enables them to keep the house from crumbling in on itself. It's what keeps them from growing weary or tired of what they're supposed to do. Who here is currently tired? If is it because of yesterday? Okay. You're tired. Who else? No one? Okay, Rick, but that doesn't really count. He's always tired. Okay. So I, I'm I think it's fair to assume that every single person in this building at the moment is currently or has somewhere in your life been tired. 
So you would know that there are different types of tiredness. You can be physically tired. You can be emotionally tired, maybe uh, mentally tired. So there's different types. And uh, the passage that I want to work through this morning is talking about tiredness. But it's talking about a very specific type of tiredness, a very unique type of tiredness. And what makes this tiredness so unique and different from all the other types is that this type you can't do anything about. There's nothing that you can do to overcome this type of tiredness. But there is an answer to this. And so before I go on, let's, let's just read the scripture. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles with you, please page there. I'll give, give some time for you to go there. Matthew chapter 11. It's a very interesting passage. It's just, just three verses, but it's three incredibly powerful verses that are just loaded. Yeah, they're just loaded. Matthew chapter 11. I'm reading from verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to reveal him. Then it says in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now there's three points that I want to talk about, and I, uh, I'm intentionally using the word points because these aren't steps. We're not going to talk about step one, two, and three. There's no f- formula or way, a way to formulate a solution to this type of tiredness that this passage is talking about. So this isn't step one, two, and three. It's more like if you're a visual person, just visualize one step, and that's going to be this first step that I'm going to talk about right now. And the rest is just a result of this first step. So the first step, the first instruction that Jesus gives us in this passage is come to me. Now, I don't know who here is going to remember this. And also, I don't want to get your hopes up. That was the one and oh, there's no more chocolates. Um, but a while ago, I did a sermon here about uh, what it means to be a child of God, what it means for me to be his son. And uh, I went through some criteria as to how do you get to that point. And the only criteria, the only legitimate criteria, was that, the, that I need to receive him as my father. I need to receive him as my father. There's nothing that I can do to, to make me his son. All I need to do is to receive him as my father, to receive his love into my heart. I, I think, Melissa, either last week or the week before, you shared a word about um, God speaking to you about receiving his love uh, or accepting his love. Is that correct? Yeah. All we need to do is to receive the love of the Father in our hearts. That's the start of this journey. And so Jesus starts by saying, come to me. It's not a performance-based relationship. This journey 
that we walk with Christ does not start with you never making a mistake again. It doesn't start with us sorting out, and we really like this one. It doesn't start with us sorting out all our issues so that we can now follow Jesus. It starts not even with us. It starts with him saying to us, come to me. He's the first to respond before we do anything. Come to me. And so step one is come to me. And the rest that follows is just the result of this step. So come to me, and as a result of that, you will overcome your burdens. Now this is a very interesting passage for me, for various reasons, but I'm going to name some of them. Firstly, it feels, it's, it's always felt to me that there's some verses missing in this passage. It feels to me that Jesus starts off talking, uh, and then he makes a, a clear point, and then it sort of jumps to a completely or seemingly completely different topic. And so he says that, you know, all things have been handed over to me by my father. No one fully knows or accurately understands me except the father and vice versa and everyone else that I choose to deliberately reveal him to. Okay, cool. I understand that. Then he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And I could never find the connection because it, it feels like there should be some connection, but it feels like I missed out part of the conversation. No one truly understands the Father except the Son and whoever he reveals his heart to. So come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. And I eventually got my answer. He's saying, come to me, all who are uh, weary and heavily burdened, because the answer is in knowing God. It's in knowing God and understanding his heart. That's the answer. But then he goes on to explain, okay, let's, let's break this down. What does that actually mean? And so this brings me to the next part that I'm really confused about. Uh, is <laughs> he gives this first step and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. And I could never really understand that. Why would he replace my burdens? with a different burden. Why not just take away my burdens? Jesus, if that's your aim, to bring me some sort of relief, just take away my burdens. I don't need a new one. I need to have no burdens. And so I could never really understand that. I, I, I didn't understand what, what's the difference between my burdens and the burden that he is offering me here. Because that's what he's doing. He's offering a burden. Take my yoke upon you. Other than his burden is apparently lighter than mine. What is the difference? The difference between the burdens that you currently carry and the burden that he's offering is that yours don't end. There is no victory for you. There is no victory for me. In fact, just... Quick disclaimer here, let's, let's be, I've been known to be very good at pessimism, so let's be real for a moment. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve uh, um, grace. We don't deserve 
to be loved. If anything, at best, we deserve desolation. We deserve abandonment. We deserve hell. Maybe you think that I'm being a bit harsh this morning, especially seeing as we live in this you know, self-love world where, you know, love yourself, that's all that's important. You are divine. And so maybe I'm coming across a little harsh. If so, just consider this for a moment. Maybe I'm coming across, sorry, maybe I'm coming across as harsh because for so long we have continually lowered the bar of righteousness to suit our needs. I spoke to someone the other day. Um, there's a guy called uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a, um, I don't know really what he is, philosopher or whatever. But this guy I was speaking to mentioned that um, he really likes Jordan's stuff. There's just one issue he has. He thinks Jordan is, is too harsh. On, he, he, he talks a lot specifically to men. That's, that's his main audience, what it means to, to be an, a righteous or upright man. And um, this person said, you know, I, I really like his stuff, but he's, he just comes over too harsh. Like, it feels to me he's, he's setting the bar way too high for anyone to reach. And I, I get that. And I think he's, he's speaking the truth. But I also think the bar is supposed to be too high for us to reach. I don't think I'm supposed to be able to be righteous, completely righteous, just in and of myself. I don't think any of us have the capacity to be good in and of ourselves. I'm not saying to do good things every now and then. I'm talking, to, uh, talking about being truly righteous inside and out all the time. I don't think we can do that on our own. And so we continue to set the bar of righteousness lower and lower so that I can feel better about myself. But the truth is, eventually, my burdens will catch up to me. And yet, we insist on keeping on lowering the bar instead of facing the fact that in and of ourselves, we do not have the capacity to truly love. Not ourselves, not those around us. And I'll explain that a bit further just now. So just in case I'm coming over a, a bit negative, I'm not being negative. Listen to what John says. And, and this, these two uh, passages of, of Scripture go sort of hand in hand, according to me. Um, so maybe I'm wrong, but this is what I feel. Um, so John or Matthew 11 talks about, you know, take my yoke upon you. And then 1 John chapter 5 helps me to understand what that yoke entails. And so John goes on to explain the, what he calls the burden of God. He says, By this we know without any doubt that we love the children of God. So before I go on, this is how you know if you love your neighbor as a Christian. When we love God and obey his commandments. Why does he say this is how you know you love each other if you love God? Because the more we love God, the more he imparts his own love into us, the more we overflow, and that's contagious. And that is what enables me to love those around me. And so this is how we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For the true love of God is this, that we habitually keep his commandments, 
and remain focused on his precepts. Now, this next part sort of blew me away. This really breaks my brain because I, I somehow I've just always missed this. But then John says, and his commandments and his precepts are not difficult to obey. Really. <clears throat> Listen here, Johnny. I don't know if you've ever been a Christian. And I don't know, maybe it was easier in your day because you physically had Jesus with you. But in this world that I currently live in, even though there's not like obvious persecution and these hectic things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word easy when it comes to Christianity. Maybe worth, worthwhile. Maybe difficult. <laughs> maybe hard. But not easy. Do you understand how hard it is to keep on resisting the temptations of this world? Of course you do, because you're human. Do you know how hard it is for me to keep on not just giving in and saying, you know what, I'm done. You do what makes you happy, and I'll do what makes me happy, and then we're all happy, and that's all life is about, me being happy and you being happy. Because I'm the center of my own universe. Do you know how difficult it is to continue not being the main protagonist in your own story? Like, this is my life. And I'm not even number one in my own life. So, Johnny, no, I don't think it's easy. But then he goes on to explain why he says this. He says, for everyone born of God. And this is where it comes back to Matthew 11. Everyone born of God. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened. Come to me. In other words, accept me for who I am, which is your Lord and Savior. Let me fill you. Let me replenish your, your soul. Come to me. For everyone born of God will be, oh no, is victorious. Present tense. Everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. The difference between your burdens and the burden He is offering us is His burden ends in victory. His burden ends in you overcoming the world because of you persisting in your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And so the result of that is us finding true rest. Now I mentioned that there are different types of tiredness. And the type of tiredness that is addressed here in Matthew 11 is tiredness of the soul. Hence my title, The Soul Pillar. Tiredness of the soul. Here's why this is unique. When you're physically tired, it comes and goes. You can do something about it, you know. I don't know, take a nap, drink a cup of coffee, do something that helps you to unwind and just to chill. 
But tiredness of the soul, there's not much we can do about that. It's a deep kind of tiredness. It's a kind of tiredness that persists even while you're relaxing, even while you're doing things that used to, to be fun to you. It's the type of tiredness that persists even when you're spending time with loved ones. Uh, Ari, a while ago, I think it was a grade 11, yeah, I was in a motorcycle accident. Uh, in, uh, I was on my way from Paternoster to, to school in the morning. And uh, the only reason I'm mentioning this is, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but the point is my left knee got hurt. And uh, it's fine today, sort of, um, but it has this weird sensation. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's when I, when I knock it against something, it's like it doesn't hurt on the surface. It hurts inside. So there's no use putting pressure on it. It doesn't relieve the pain. It, you, you just sort of have to wait it out. If you want to really see me lose my mind, you, I, I used to drive a, a Corsa Bucky, and those things aren't built for me. So every time I got into the Bucky, I would knock my, my knee against the steering wheel. And then I rebuke the Bucky. That's the Christian way of saying it, right? I rebuke the Bucky. Rebuke you, Corsa. Go to hell. I'm not promoting any brands here, I'm just saying. <laughs> I haven't knocked my knee in the fiesta. I'm also saying that. So, anyway. <laughs> but it's a deep type of tiredness. Tiredness that there's not something I can do about. You cannot fix a spiritual problem with physical solutions. There's no pull for the soul. The Bible tells us that we are spiritual beings living in physical bodies. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's talking directly to these people sitting here wearing these flesh suits. And what he's saying to them is, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's my question. Why doesn't he not just give the rest to me? Why is this a conditional rest? Why do I have to first come to him and then he gives me rest? If he truly cares about me, just give me the rest. Why must I first do something? There's a poster up in my office that I found somewhere. It's a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, God can't give you peace apart from himself because there is no such thing. There's no condition to this rest. Listen carefully to the words that he uses. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And then almost as a separate thought, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Not I am gentle and humble in heart, so when you come to me, I will give you this rest. No, when you find me, you find rest. Not just because I give it to you, but because that's who I am. And he can't give that rest to us apart from giving himself fully to us as well. And so it's not a condition. You just can't find it anywhere else. Rest for your soul. Now just to contrast this a little bit and, and to give some context, I believe Jesus was reacting to what was going on in that time and what the, the 
religious leaders of that time were saying, the, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the policies and the whatever, because um, they were saying something very different to what Jesus was saying here. And Jesus addresses this. He says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, The scribes and the Pharisees tie up heavy loads that are hard to bear and place them on men's shoulders, but they, they themselves will not lift a finger to make them lighter. Now let me give you a, a practical, practical example of what this looks like, just so it, I can be sure that it hits home. While I was in a high school, there was a, a team that came to visit us. Uh, in the West Coast, uh, like a Christian group. And they uh, had this youth ministry worship evening. It was in um, Flamingos. Um, and so we all went there, a bunch of us. And it was cool. They were worshiping all night long. We worshiped for like two, three hours. I don't know how long. And they had a live band and they were really professional. And we were all like, oh, famous people. Um, and after the worship, they had an altar call and they asked to, you know, put up your hand if you have something that you, you want us to pray for. And they started praying for people. I was one of those people who put up my hand. Um, I, was, I was always, like, at any of these events, I was always the first to put up my hand. Just in, like, not necessarily because I had an issue at that time, but just in case, you know, in case I mess up tomorrow, pray for me so long. Um, and so I was one of those who put up my hand and they were praying for me and it was really nice. I don't know how else to put it. It was nice. And um, eventually they called up one of my friends on stage and they started praying for her uh, to receive the gift of tongues. And uh, boy, did they pray for her. <laughs> louder and louder and louder. Until the point where she started feeling embarrassed. And she started feeling humiliated. And she asked them, you know, I, I don't think this is going to happen now. Um, let's, let's, let's leave it. And they just insisted, no, we're praying for you to receive the gift of tongues. You need to receive the gift of tongues. Are you a Christian? She said, yes. Okay, then you need to receive the gift of tongues. And she was completely humiliated, not because of God, because of what they wanted to put on her. And it just so happens that earlier this week at our Connect group, I think it was Reuben or Rick, that, no, it was Reuben. Uh, that brought up the, the scripture that talks about, you know, you can speak in heavenly languages and do all these great things, but if you have no love, you have nothing. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were putting all these religious things on people. And then Jesus comes and just messes up the whole thing because their whole thing was catered to control. That's, that's the whole point of why the Pharisees operated the way they did it. Actually, when you read the rest of that passage, Jesus calls them out like super directly. And he says, yeah, you people who always want the best seat right in front, the near, nearest to, to those reading the scroll in the temple because you, wanna, you want everyone to see you. And then Jesus messes it all up by saying, okay, guys, listen up. This is what you need to do. Come to me. Case in point. No, but I don't know how to pray. It's fine. Come to me. Yeah, but I have all these things. And I, I mean, I've asked for forgiveness, but I keep on going back to this same nonsense. Come to me. That's his call to us. Come to me. 
Learn from me. And I will reveal to you the heart of the Father. I have these little sayings that uh, I sort of live by. Um, one of them, for example, is it, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what you hear, which is very important. This is why preaching is an art. It doesn't matter if my intention was this or that or that. It matters what you heard. At least that's how I see it. And then another saying, but I'll, I'll say it in Afrikaans and then translate it, but it doesn't translate that well. But the saying goes, I hate your espresso leaf, which is he loves you on purpose. But like I said, it doesn't really translate that well. I hate your espresso leaf. And I like that in, in the amplified version that we read here, it, it says, um, no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to reveal him. I like that. He loves me on purpose. So come to me, Jesus says, learn from me and I will reveal the heart of the Father to you. This is what I like to refer to as the Thomas dilemma. You know Thomas as in doubting Thomas? The Thomas dilemma. Maybe some of you struggle connecting. Maybe some of you struggle with your belief. The dilemma is you want to overcome that. You need to move closer to him. Maybe some of you struggle with having faith in God as your heavenly father who cares about you more than anything and anyone in the world. Maybe you struggle having faith in him. The dilemma is overcoming that faith, that lack of faith, lies in trusting him more. That's the dilemma. Trust him more. Let him in. Deeper. Deeper. Until he becomes your center pillar. <laughs> 